Church at Home Sunday, all right? What that means is we're encouraging you to do church with your family. Uh, you can invite someone in your church family over to the house, but to do church in your home. You know, a big part of uh, our vision as a part of Vine Church is that church is not a building. Church is not a service we attend. It's a family. It's a community we're a part of. And so we can be the church in our own homes, but also a big part of who we are as a church family is we want every single family to be empowered to talk about Jesus and pray together with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, your extended family and all that. So next week uh, kind of combines those things. We give all of our volunteers a break for the day after Christmas, and then you guys can enjoy uh, church in your home. You'll be watching a video online of me uh, speaking. We're going to talk about Joseph next week. It'll be cool. So you can find it on the Facebook page, vinetrustful.com, or it's really through YouTube is where the video is going to be. So any of those channels uh, from us, you can find that. That's next Sunday. So don't forget, if you show up here, no one will be here but you uh, and others who forgot, I guess. So if you guys want to sit under the portico and pull up your phones and watch it together, be my guest. If it's a day like yesterday, it'd be great. Because it's a day like today, you'll be freezing. Just kind of like, who knows, you know? Man, yesterday was wonderful. I just, I love that weather. We were outside majority of the day. Today, it's a little colder, a little bit colder. Vinetrustful.com, connection cards, giving, they're all there. You guys know to go there. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about our Christmas gift throughout this season. You know, every single year as a church family, we pray about what we're going to give as a church family to someone outside of this church family, something that 100% goes to be a blessing to someone else. So this year, as I was praying about it, I just kept being reminded of when I was at an orphanage uh, back in my early 20s. I led a mission trip to an orphanage in Thailand and seeing that this orphanage was able to care for two and three times the amount of kids uh, that they would have been able to care for because they grew their own food. They grew their own food. They had their own livestock, their own rice fields. And so they were able to, instead of having 20 to 30 kids, they had over, I think it was over 150 kids in this orphanage because they grew their own food. So Convoy of Hope, one of our partners that we've given to for disaster relief, we've given to their food program in the past, they also have an agricultural portion of their organization that goes in and trains schools, trains families, men and women on how to grow crops and how to uh, get themselves out of poverty, but also how to feed their family. So these are a few of the things that we can do as a church family. Uh, you know, we love to be able to buy a couple goats, maybe some chickens, some farming and gardening tools, but I'd really love to do a school garden uh, and, and more if possible. So on our website, vinetrustful.com, if you go to give, you can go to give.vinetrustful.com or you can just go to the website and click give, which all of you do that already, so you know about this. Uh, but you go there in the drop-down uh, on your giving page, instead of just saying the general fund, now there's a drop-down menu that says My Christmas Agricultural Gift. So you can do that there, uh, or you can also just give here in the boxes in the back and mark it, uh, you know, Christmas gift, and everything that goes towards that fund will go directly uh, towards this portion of Convoy of Hope. So I'd encourage you to talk about it with your family, talk about it with your kids at Christmas time. You know, we live in a very, um, a very blessed and affluent society. And there are people all around the world that live completely differently than us. And so one of the things is we want to do is recognize how blessed we are. And it's because of God's grace that we get to experience of the kind of lives that we live. Uh, but also it's important to, you know, share with our kids, our spouses, our, our friends and family uh, what it means to give to someone who's a lot less fortunate than we are. It doesn't experience what we get to experience here in America. So that's what we're doing this Christmas. All right.
if you have your Bibles, we're going to be we're going to be all over the place. So you can get your Bible out, but we're going to be all over the Christmas story today. Uh, we're going to look at multiple different passages, multiple different parts of the Christmas story. Uh, also, a little bit in Mark chapter four this morning. But I'd encourage you to open your Bible today. We're talking about how Christmas is the season for peace. Christmas is the season for peace. We started this series talking about how Christmas is the season for singing. Last week, we talked about how Christmas is the season for lights. And this week, we're going to talk about how Christmas is the season for peace. You know, the past two weeks, as we talked about singing, I think you could see the, uh, a mirror of what the church does, what believers do, and what culture does. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, Christmas is the season for singing. If you don't believe in Jesus, Christmas is the season for lights. But Christmas is the season for peace only for those who follow Jesus. Because that's what the whole Christmas story is about, is that Jesus came to bring peace. But true peace only comes through Jesus. True peace only comes from God. You know, it's Christmas time, and like many other times of the year, things don't always go as planned. Now, Christmas is coming up in a few days, and some of you have already experienced how things are not really going according to plan. And uh, here's the, the truth is, no matter how much you plan, no matter how good your plan is, things are going to happen and it's going to have to change. And all the control freaks in the room just got really anxious, right? Because we tr- sometimes when we try to control and we plan, well, if I just plan every single minute to the detail, it's all going to work out, and it's going to be fine. There's gonna be, it's just going to be great. But things always just happen, things outside of our control. I will say this. We have now planted, Brooke and I, two different churches. And twice, something completely out of our control has happened within the first year like year and a half of our launch. Specifically here in, you know, Trustville, we planted the church. We were started meeting in our house in like the end of November of 2018. And all of a sudden, the pandemic decided to come in March. We didn't even get to celebrate like our one-year anniversary of being in a building together, of meeting Sunday morning. We didn't even get to celebrate it because of COVID. Things just happen. You know, we came here and we had this plan and we're going to work this plan. And then it didn't work out, so we had to adjust the plan. And then things were going great. And then all of a sudden, boom, something happens. And the governor's like, hey, no one can meet for six weeks at all. We were like, that's not cool, but okay. And so you adjust the plan. Well, a number of years ago, years before we had planted this church, we were living in California. And uh, we were going to spend Christmas with my family. My family lives in Texas. And so we were going to make the trek. We were going to drive from California all the way to West Texas, which is a very long drive. Yet, thankfully, my wife's family lives in Arizona. So we were going to stop in Arizona, spend a few days there, and then head on in to Texas. So the plan was we were going to spend Christmas Eve with Brooks' family, Christmas Day with Brooks' family, and then the day after Christmas, uh, December 26th, we were going to hop in the car, drive to Texas, spend a week with my family. We get to Arizona. And we're in northern Arizona, so not Phoenix area. So when I talk about the next piece of the of this story, you'll, it's not Phoenix area. We're in northern Arizona. And all of a sudden, we hear word that there's a massive blizzard, snowstorm coming on Christmas Day. It's going to start, like, later in the day on Christmas Day. And they're saying, do not travel. Like, don't go anywhere. So our plan had to adjust because we were in northern Arizona and Flagstaff. And from Flagstaff to West Texas Lubbock, that's where this massive storm was going to be. So we're like, all right, plans are going to change. Everything has to adjust because we got to get to Texas. So we hop in the car on Christmas Eve and we start driving. 
And then once we start driving, it's kind of when Brooke and I begin to realize we did not think this through because we did not have dinner, and it's Christmas Eve, and we end up eating Christmas Eve dinner at a Maverick gas station in the middle of nowhere because there was nothing else around. It was like, we're all starving. So our Christmas Eve dinner was a Maverick gas station. The next morning we get up, we stayed at a hotel in Albuquerque, so we had breakfast at the hotel. That wasn't too bad. But then we start driving, and everyone's getting hungry around lunchtime. And guess what's not open in the middle of nowhere on Christmas Day? Any sort of restaurant. Like, nothing is open. So we had Sonic, because it was the only restaurant open in Clovis, New Mexico, on Christmas Day. So Christmas Eve was Maverick gas station. Christmas lunch uh, was Sonic. And so we called my family, and we said, we know we weren't planning on doing Christmas dinner, but we just had gas station food and then Sonic. For, can we please have like a big Christmas dinner tonight? So thankfully, my sister-in-law like kicked it into high gear and she made sure we have like a good Christmas dinner. Well, let me tell you, nothing went as planned. We get to Texas, all right? We're there with our four kids, my brother and his wife, their three kids, my parents and my grandparents. And then it snows and it keeps snowing and it keeps snowing and it keeps snowing. In the entire town of Lubbock, Texas, was shut down for four days. Nothing is open. So all of us, all, what is that, 10 of us, 12 of us, are in one three-bedroom house for four and a half days. It was a memorable Christmas. I'll just say that. It was, there weren't any, like, massive fights or anything necessarily. We don't need to go into the details of all that took place. But let me say, we will never allow ourselves to be in that position again. The kids kind of had fun, you know, for the first day playing in the snow. But that gets old after a day. And there's nothing open. So we're walking, you know, to the grocery store, which is open for like four hours, trying to get food. Like nothing went according to plan. Here's the thing. When things don't go according to plan, we have some decisions to make. You know, we can get angry. We can complain. We can become fearful. Some of us can even become deathly afraid, lose control of our emotions. We can, we can begin to freak out. Some of us can even go frantic. When things get out of hand and they're completely out of our control and things are not going the way they're supposed to go, we have some options. And our natural inclination is, you know, angry, you know, sad, freak, you know, distressed, whatever it may be. Well, in Mark chapter 4, we're going to enter onto this scene, and this is what's taking place. The disciples had just gotten into a boat, and they're in the, the middle of this boat, and the, the storm comes, and the water is going crazy. The storm is raging. It's sloshing over into the boat, and they begin to freak out. Like, they're getting frantic. They are so worried. They're so scared. Their fear is gripping them, and guess who's in the boat with them while they're getting scared? The creator of the universe, right? Like, Jesus is in the boat with them, and what's Jesus doing? If you know the story, he's sleeping. He's not worried at all. He's sleeping. So, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What an interesting way to phrase that. Like, Jesus is asleep. They're in the boat. Are they actually dying? Like, are they perishing? No. They're just in the boat. They're scared but they're not actually dying, right? But how often do we get into a situation and it seems so out of control and chaos is all around us that it's not going according to plan and we begin to freak out to the point where we think it's a lot worse than it actually is. 
And then we say, how many times have you said, God, don't you care that this is happening? Don't you care that this is going on? I remember when I was in Bible college, and I found out that I had type 1 diabetes. That was a big, you know, moment in my life. I'm in Bible college. I had walked away from, like, my personal ambitions of, you know, being in the business world and making tons of money because God called me into ministry. So I'm in ministry, and I'm enjoying it, loving it, and then all of a sudden, I have a, a, a lifelong disease that I'm diagnosed with. And there's a lot of these moments of, like, God, don't you care? that I'm in Bible college? Don't you care that I'm following you? Don't you care that this disease is going to, like, take over my life? Don't you care? Like, don't you care that I'm perishing here? And Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, and we're going to come back to this, but I want to make note of what Jesus, look here what happens. Jesus says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, at the end, we're going to come back to this, and we're going to look at this verse a little bit more. But I just want you to see here in the very beginning, Jesus does not rebuke them for waking him up. He doesn't rebuke, why did you wake me up? You should have just left me alone. What does he rebuke? He rebukes their fear. Why don't you have faith? He doesn't say, don't wake me up, just leave me alone here. He says, no, no. He rebukes their lack of faith. Jesus steps up and he says, peace, be still. The disciples, they see the storm, they see the chaos, they freak out, they're terrified, and Jesus says, peace, be still. And then there was a great calm. Peace, this word means freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility, mental calm, serenity. Christmas is the season for peace. Now, just saying that Christmas is the season for peace might sound like a completely foreign concept to you because when you get around your family, the last thing you experience is serenity, right? The last thing you experience is calm. When we get around our family, like Christmas is not the season for peace at my house. Christmas is the season for complete and total chaos and fighting and bickering and stress and worry and it's not peace, you know? Because peace is this freedom from disturbance, quiet, tranquility, mental calm, and serenity. Christmas is the season for peace because Jesus came to bring a peace that supersedes our current circumstances, right? He came to bring us a peace that is so far beyond what we're currently experiencing. You know what the opposite of peace is? Fear, distress, anxiety, worry, war, internal chaos, external chaos, all of those are the opposite of peace. The disciples are afraid, they're distressed, they're anxious, they have internal chaos because of the external chaos. That's what's happening, right? There's an external chaos, the winds and waves, so there's an internal chaos. They don't have any peace. And then Jesus says, peace, be still. And there's a great calm. See, Mark chapter 4, we started here because this is a small-scale like micro story of what was happening cosmically before Jesus came to earth. See, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they sinned. Whenever they sinned, the entire world and all of humanity was spinning out of control into chaos for for, for hundreds of years. And no human being, no person could do anything about it. There's this cosmic chaos that was spinning towards destruction. There's a collision course towards destruction and all of humanity is heading down towards it. 
And then what happens at Christmas time is exactly what happened here in Mark 4. Jesus shows up on the scene. There's this cosmic chaos going on, and Jesus comes so that we could have peace. So we're going to read a few parts of the Christmas story here, and we're going to pick out a, a common theme and thread through these three portions and characters in this story. All right, so in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says in the sixth month, we're going to talk about Mary a little bit, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The angel here appears to Mary and says, do not be afraid. There's good news. Jesus is coming. Don't be afraid. There's good news. Jesus is coming. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew writes about this man named Joseph who's engaged to be married to Mary. And they hadn't gotten married yet. You know, Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, and so he decides he's going to divorce her quietly because he's a faithful man, faithful to the law. But let's look and see what happens with Joseph. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel greeted Mary and said, Greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. They said, Name this boy Jesus, which means God is with us. See, all of humanity was headed towards chaos and destruction, and then Jesus comes, and they call him Emmanuel, which means now God has come to be with us. See, there's a huge difference between us that live after Jesus came, died, and rose, and those who lived before. Before Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would every now and then descend on certain people at certain times. Kings, you know, prophets at different times, but then the Holy Spirit would leave. But now us, since Jesus died and rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit is with us every single day. Every single minute of every single day, if we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with us because Jesus came to be God with us. The angel said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph. I know things are not going according to plan because Joseph had planned, you know, to get married, to marry, and then have their own children. Children were a huge deal in Jewish society. They were a big deal especially in, uh, in agricultural society, really, I mean, how many children you had a lot of times determined your ability 
to gain wealth for your family. Because the only people that worked your land were your family and your kids. So two kids meant two additional hands in the field, which meant you know, twice, as many, uh, twice as much of the land you could work. Four kids, six kids, eight kids. It just meant more and more ways to build wealth for your family. Kids were a huge, huge deal. And then Joseph's plan is to marry this woman named Mary. It sounds, it, I, I, I always have to catch, it sounds funny. Right? Mary, Mary. He's going to marry Mary. Get married to Mary. Right? He's going to marry a woman named Mary. And the plan is to have kids. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. Things are not going according to plan. The angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14 and 16, in the same region, the shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around these shepherds, and they were filled with great fear. Three times the angels show up, Mary, Joseph, and shepherds, and they say, do not be afraid. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Do not be afraid. Jesus has come, and he's bringing with him peace. He's going to be with you always, and he's going to bring you peace. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the, boy, and the baby lying in a manger. The angels say, shepherds, don't be afraid. Jesus is here. He's the Savior of the world. He is Christ, Lord of all, and he's bringing peace. Peace. In all three of these scenes, we see that there's good news about Jesus, that he's here, he's here to be with us, and he's bringing peace. But also, there is a command. There is an imperative from the angels to all three of these people. I want you to notice, the angels don't say, I've come to take away your fear. Here, I'm here. I've come to take away your fear. Jesus has come to remove and take away your fear. No, all three of them got an imperative from the angel. Mary, Joseph, and the, and the shepherds were told, do not be afraid. Fear not. See, I think the, the first step to having peace at Christmas is to choose to not be afraid. When things get out of control, when chaos begins to surround, whenever we find out that you know, our job might be ending in a few months or we find out that it's ending in a couple weeks or there's a new person on the team or there's a new boss at the workplace, fear can begin to set in. When there's something happening in the family, there's a diagnosis, there's a sickness happening, fear can begin to set in. Whenever there's you know, an injury that takes place, like all, the list could go on the amount of times that we can become afraid. When there's a new strain of, the, of, of COVID, fear can begin to set in. Fear can overtake. Fear can control. And fear can dictate our decisions in our life. And the angels show up and they say, do not be afraid. Do not fear. They say, choose to not be afraid. You know, a number of years ago, I was, uh, uh, we were, you know, uh, going after, uh, we were in California, we were planting the church, and I was just really nervous 
about things, you know, and how's the, the launch going to go, and are people going to come, and like, is this going to work out, and all this kind of stuff, and I just, I mean, days and days and days of just kind of worry, anxiousness, and I would just allow my thoughts to kind of run in these places, well, if this doesn't show up, and then that doesn't work, and then that's going to work, and then I'm going to be a failure, and like, like, my thoughts would just kind of run, and there was this, this nervousness, there was this, this fear, this worry, this anxiety about what was going to happen in the future, and I remember talking to a spiritual mentor and kind of explaining this to him. You know, like, what are people going to think? What are they going to say? Like, and I asked him, I was like, do you ever worry? Like, do you ever, are you ever afraid that it's not going to work out? And I was expecting, like, some camaraderie here. You know, I was expecting, like, him to identify with where I was at and say, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no. I was like, what do you mean, no? Like, what do you mean you're never, like, you're never worried or afraid? He's like, no. I said, well, why not? Like, why are you never, like, how can, and then I said, how can I get there? You've been doing this a long time. I mean, he was in his, you know, his late 50s or early 60s at the time, and just, he had seen it all at that point. He's like, no, just, I'm never afraid that people aren't going to show up. You know, that's my words. Like, what if no one shows up? Like, what does this mean, and what happens? Do you ever, he's like, no. Well, how do I, I said, how do I get there? He says, you just have to choose to not go there. So you have to learn how to choose faith and not fear. And he talked to me about this. Like, have you ever noticed when the angels show up in the, in the Bible, they don't ever say, I'm taking away your fear? They command. They, it's an imperative. Do not be afraid. We have the choice if we're going to choose faith or fear. And he began to talk to me about how do I choose faith? I have to choose the truth. Choose to believe the promises of God. I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God work in our family a thousand times over. And all of those things that I've seen God do in my family and my personal life, you know, when I was a kid and other people's lives and all the things I've seen God do should strengthen my faith to the point where I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not afraid. But there's still points where the enemy is going to try to come in and make me afraid and I have to choose. No, I'm going to choose faith. I've seen God work. I believe Scripture. I believe the authority of Scripture. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that God has said he's going to take care of me. And so I believe the truth, and I'm going to choose faith and not fear. To have peace at Christmas is to choose to not be afraid. Think back to the disciples in the boat. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? They made it out worse than it actually was. How many times have we been so terrified or so, you know, anxious to go and have dinner or Christmas time at this, you know, this season with a family member or a group of family members that we don't get along with well. And like we've, it's like we've become so fearful and anxious that we've made it out. Well, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be horrible. Like why we, you know, before we ever even get there, we're choosing to be afraid instead of choosing to have faith. You know, and yeah, it might, it might get real chaotic because sometimes things happen out of our control. And that's where Jesus steps in and says, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. How do we have peace at Christmas? We choose to not be afraid. How do we have peace at Christmas? We realize who's in the boat with us. Now, I said it earlier, and just going to cycle back. Jesus did not rebuke the disciples for waking him up. They rebuked the disciples. He rebuked the disciples because of their lack of faith. Why do you have so little faith? I'm in the boat with you. Now, think about this logically. If Jesus, the very Son of God, is in the boat, and he's called you to be his disciple, 
you've followed him around, right? You've seen him do all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders, and he's in the same boat you're in. Is he going to let the boat sink and all of you perish and die? No. Like, we, we know this logically, right? Sometimes, you know, mentally, we can logically understand, well, like, Jesus is in the boat with me, so I'm okay. But emotionally, we can get frantic all the same. And that's where we have to take that knowledge, the truth that we know, and allow it to move that 18 inches from our head to our heart and speak to ourselves of realize Jesus is in the boat. If Jesus is with us, he's promised to be with us to the end of the age, then he is with me now, and whatever I face in this life, I'm going to be okay because Jesus is with me. To have peace at Christmas, we have to realize who's in the boat with you. The other day, uh, I went out to lunch uh, just by myself. I had... Uh, I was working, I was like, I'm going to go grab some food somewhere and come back, and I forgot to make myself a lunch, and I was here working, and so I ran out really quick, and so uh, I get to the restaurant, I order my food and everything, and, uh, you know, one thing is, as a type 1 diabetic, I have to take medicine every time that I eat food, and I'm, the food comes, and I realize that uh, I don't have, like, I start frantically looking for my medicine. I'm like, oh my goodness, I was just in such a rush to leave. I forgot it. Like, I run back to the car, I leave my food there on the table, and I'm like going through my backpack, going through the car, like, do I have medicine anywhere? Like, what, what's going on? And so I'm thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do? I guess I can go, and then I can like box it up really fast. And I could feel like my anxiety, you know, just kind of like my, my adrenaline just starts to pump. Like, what, what am I going to do? You know, like, you, you just pack up your food and take it with you. Like, it's not a big deal, but it seemed like a huge deal because I'd already taken a few bites. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm just going to go back and I'm just going to eat really, really fast and then like, you know, try to get to, to church as soon as possible so I can get my medicine as fast as possible. And then I go and I, I put my hand in the pockets of my jacket uh, to take out uh, my phone and I realize <laughs> my medicine was in the jacket because I had prepared it and put it in there to go inside the restaurant. And I had been fully prepared. And the whole time the answer to my problem was right there. I just didn't realize it. The disciples were in the boat and Jesus is like, I'm the answer to all the problems, and I'm with you. Like, I'm right here. I think so many times we get worried, anxious, fearful, all this stuff, because we don't stop and realize who's in the boat. Jesus has said he is with us. Thankfully, each and every one of us live, you know, after the resurrection, so the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's with us at all times. To experience peace at Christmas time, realize who's in the boat with us. When you're walking into that situation in the family, realize who's accompanying you, and that's Jesus. The Holy Spirit is with you. When you're walking into maybe the unknown of the end of the year or the unknown of the beginning of next year, know that Jesus is still with you. You've got to realize who's in the boat with you. Number three. And this one is really calling back on this idea that Jesus did not rebuke them for waking him up. How do we have peace? We call on Jesus. We call on Jesus. What happens? The disciples wake Jesus up because he's in the boat. What does Jesus do first? He stands up and he quiets the storm. Even before he rebuked their lack of faith, he quieted the storm. Before he pointed out that he's the one in the boat with them, before he pointed out that they shouldn't be worried or fearful or afraid, before he did that, he stood up and he brought calm to the situation. How do we have peace? We call on Jesus. We take some time to cry out to Jesus. You know, when we came here to plant this church, 
and to launch this from scratch. You know, we met with the group who was giving us this building, you know, and then uh, people were uh, giving us money, and we um, talked a lot about that story and kind of like the miraculous nature of all that. But whenever we met with them and talked with them, they asked us, you know, what is your plan? And we laid out, like I laid out, here's, kind of, here's the plan of how we're going to launch this church. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have these interest meetings starting out. We're going to send down a few advertisements. We're going to do this and that. We're going to have an interest meeting because that's the way we did it uh, when we planted a church in California. We had what's called an interest meeting. Hey, is anyone interested in a new church starting? And I would have, not I would have thought, I thought, okay, there's a lot more churches and a lot more Christians in uh, Alabama. So if we do an interest meeting, more people will show up to be interested than did in California, which is so funny that we did our first interest meeting and like no one showed up. And there was, I think, four people that came. And then all four of them were like, this is great. We think this is great. I mean, we're not going to be a part of it because we already have a great church, but this sounds cool. It's like, okay. So we did an interest meeting, and we have no one that's going to help us start the church and doesn't want to be a part of it. We're in California. The first one we did, we had like 45 after the first one. And so we come here, and we, we have this plan. We realize things are not going according to plan. We held a second interest meeting. Same story. I think it was like eight or so that came uh, that night. Still, no one wanted to be a part. We're like, okay. This is, this is not what we thought, but we know we're supposed to be here. And every single week, I'd come here in this building, and I would just walk. And then I would lay, and then I would kneel, and I just prayed and just called on the Lord. Things weren't going according to plan, and I got with Brooke, and I was like, hey, we got to start praying because we're, we're going to figure something out. This is not working this way, so we need to, we need to really listen to the Lord. we got to focus on, uh, on him because we know he's called us here to do this, and we're going to have to change our plan, and the whole plan changed. And as soon as we decided that, I mean, we're talking like the mission statement of the church changed before any of you even knew we existed. Like all this stuff changed, and then our approach was going to be different. Within a couple weeks of really saying, hearing from the Lord that things are going to be different, we met the first few families that were a part of our church. We started the Bible study in our house, which is what we weren't going to start doing that it was just the whole plan changed but we took some time and we called on Jesus a very uh you know tangible part of this story is we came here and uh when we you know when when someone uh, gives you a building you know um, they say it's paid off in my mind it was like great so it's free which is awesome and then we showed up was like okay it is free but you got to pay to keep the lights on and it's a lot more expensive to light and heat and cool 20,000 square feet than it is my house, right? So we show up and we're like, oh, we get the first bill. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, we gave you the building so you guys are taking over the bills. So like, great, you know, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And I get the first bill and I was like, I don't have any money. Like, where, how is this going to work? We don't have any money for this, you know? Like, this is not going to happen. And so we start, man, we prayed and prayed and prayed, started calling on Jesus. I'm like, God, I need, we need a new strategy. We need a, a whole different uh, vision and direction. And then we need some money. And so I had uh, reached out to a guy I had known from a friend of a friend, and they had planned to the church, and they had uh, like a completely different strategy than what we had used. They had used a different one. So I just said, hey, can I ask you about when you guys started a church and what it looked like and doing more of like a Bible study in the beginning and starting in your home and being more family-oriented and all kinds of stuff that God was doing in me. I just want to hear your story. And then he said, absolutely. We started talking uh, about the story in the middle of the conversation. He goes, you know what? Uh, I was just talking to some people at our church before this as well. And so we've also decided, hey, we're going to send you a check for $10,000. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's huge, huge, you know? So I mean, we were just blown away by God's goodness. But all that came out of us taking time to call on Jesus. I wouldn't have called the guy and asked for what their strategy was 
if we weren't in the spot of like what we're doing isn't working, it's doesn't, what we had planned is not going according to plan, but we need to call on Jesus. And through this, I felt impressed to call them, never ask them for money, wasn't going to ask them for money. And all of a sudden they said, we're going to send you a check for $10,000. That $10,000 more than covered our bills and the electric and water and all that stuff that we have to pay uh, to keep this place open, covered all that before we ever even moved into the building and even set us on the way for some of the remodel we've been able to do. How do we have peace? We call on Jesus. He's in the boat with you. He's with you. But we got to take time and call on him. You know, there are times where I feel like, you know, things are chaotic and the stress and worry can begin to, you know, be, be overwhelming. And I can say, oh, I know, Jesus, you're in the boat with me. And even then, I can stop short of number three and not spend time calling on him. But it's when I call on Jesus and I say, okay, Jesus, I know that you are with me. I'm asking you to intervene. I'm asking you to come in and help me here is when Jesus stands up in the boat and says, peace, be still. He says, peace, be still. We've got to call on Jesus. See, Jesus came to bring every single one of us peace. Peace for this life, but also peace for eternity. That we don't have to live forever in death, right? But instead, we get to live forever in heaven because Jesus came. That's what the whole Christmas season, that's what this is all about. Christmas is the season for peace because without Jesus, there is no true peace. But with Jesus, no matter what we face, we can have true peace. No matter what. No matter what diagnosis, what job, what kids stuff, like, you know, some of us, like a lot of our stress just has to do with our kids because they're wonderful and we love them, but they can also drive us crazy. Right? And then they get older. And then they start driving. Oof. Maddie's doing really well. But I never thought teaching the child to drive that I would be this terrified. There's a couple of times where it's been a little terrifying being in the car. We say, yeah, we're going to take, take a break for a couple of days. You scared dad a little too much. You know? It gets a little scary. But Jesus came to bring us peace even when our kids are learning to drive. When they're making their decisions, you know, about their future. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I'm going to invite Jeff and Josh up. I mean, I know a lot of you really well. I know what some of you are going through and you're facing. But I also know that there are things I don't know that you're facing. This morning, before we sing this last song, I just want to pray for each of us to have a peace beyond our understanding in those moments of chaos. Maybe right now you're like, man, my life's great. Things are going well. You know, I don't really need that right now. I'm at peace. Great. I'm so excited. That is awesome. But guess what? You'll face trials again soon because that's how life works. Heavenly Father, I just pray in this moment that we would know that you are with us and that you're in the boat. Jesus, I pray that throughout this Christmas season, we would recognize that you are walking with us into every situation. When we're looking at the the finances and we see that there's more month than money, you are with us. When we're looking at the family dynamics and the people that we're going to be with that are far from you, or even the people that claim to be near you, but that are just 
uh, have a, uh, cause a lot of stressful thoughts and moments, we know that you are with us. God, this morning, we choose faith and not fear. This morning, we choose to recognize you are with us in the boat. And this morning, we call on you. We ask that you would intervene. You would show us the way out. That you would say to our hearts, peace, be still. And that there would be a great calm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?